You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with attorney Connie Chen. Connie is a principal in the Los Angeles, California offices of Jackson Lewis PC, and she will be talking with us about all of the new COVID-related leave provisions. Connie will be sharing your insights on COVID-related litigation trends and answering a few listener questions about paid leave in the year of COVID-19. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Connie Chen. Thanks so much, Teresa. It's a real pleasure to join you for today's podcast. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a partner at Jackson Lewis. Um, in downtown Los Angeles. We are a management side labor and employment law firm with over 950 attorneys in major cities nationwide. Um, My practice focuses on representing employers in litigation, um, arbitrations, administrative charges, and pre-litigation disputes regarding wage and hour, discrimination, retaliation, harassment, wrongful termination, and related claims. Um, I also provide preventative counseling and trainings um, on policies and practices affecting all aspects of day-to-day workplace issues, um, including the topic that has brought us here today, COVID-19. Yes, which is why you are the person we want to talk to about all these leave provisions. So before we start talking about leave provisions, though, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the types of uh, complaints you're starting to see trending on the litigation side with regard to COVID-19? Sure. Um, So Jackson Lewis has actually established a broad task force to address the daily developments that have arisen during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And we've actually been tracking COVID-19 related litigation through our employment lit watch tool, um, which everyone can get complimentary access to on our website. And we can circulate a link at the end of the, the podcast or after the podcast. But here in California, what we're seeing is that as of last week, Um, approximately 166 lawsuits have already been filed in state and federal courts since about mid-March, with August and September seeing the largest number of newly filed actions so far. Now, Um, is the the tracker, is that just in California, or did you say it's all over? Nationwide, we're going to be focusing on the patchwork of COVID-19 paid sick leave laws as they relate to California employers and employees. Just going to briefly go through some California stats. Nationwide data is all there as well. And Jackson Lewis has been doing that since since the start, right? You guys jumped on it in March, right? Basically, um, we've been tracking lawsuits filed since early March when we saw the first one. And uh, the great thing is we don't just track the number of lawsuits, but we break it down by industry, by type of lawsuit, state versus federal court, single plaintiff versus class actions. There's a wealth of data there that anyone uh, can can review to kind of get a lay of the land and understand the potential exposure that's out there. 
Yeah, and like Connie said, we'll make that uh, link available on our uh, website. So when you when you look at it, you can click the link and go to Jackson Lewis and look around and see what you can find. So tell us what you're seeing. So not surprisingly, um, California has had the highest number of COVID-19 lawsuits filed in the country so far. I'm shocked. Uh, uh, you know, we're one of the largest states, one of the largest economies in the, in the country, if not the largest, and about we account for about 20% of all cases filed nationwide. For comparison's sake, while California has seen about 166 cases out of the 809 filed nationally, for comparison's sake, New Jersey has um, the next highest number of filings at about 100, again, out of a little over 800 nationwide. And typically, California and New York, those areas were we're pretty litigious, those particular two states. If it hasn't been litigated in one, in one, it's been litigated in the other, don't you think? Right. New York is, um, you know, fast approaching California in terms of, of um, employee-friendly protections and also just the density of, of its workforce and the number of industries that are uh, have locations in New York. And so in terms of the types of COVID-19 litigation that we're seeing in California, um, the top few categories again, not surprisingly, are disability leave and accommodation claims, retaliation and whistleblower claims, discrimination and harassment claims, workplace safety and condition claims, and wage and hour claims. Those are the, the top categories. And as to which industries are the subject of the most COVID-19 related litigation so far, again, not surprisingly, they're the industries which have been providing all of the essential goods and services throughout the pandemic that everyone needs. They're the ones with the employees who have remained on the front lines, uh, these industries being healthcare, manufacturing, and uh, retail and consumer goods. And so, you know, my takeaway from this increased litigation is that it, it's really critical for employers and companies and in all industries to understand the applicable federal, state, and local patchwork of laws um, surrounding COVID-19, you know, safety issues, regulations, um, benefits, paid leave, minimize potential liability in these areas. Which is why we wanted to talk today about, <laughs> about this. I love the way you say it, this patchwork, because it really, it really feels like a patch. It really feels like patchwork when you try to put it all together. So let's switch to that. Let's start talking about the leave provision. So we have federal, state, and in some cases, local paid sick leave ordinances and statutes and new laws and all kinds of stuff we have to follow. So can you kind of give just a general overview of each and then and then we'll talk a little bit about, we'll talk a little bit more about them specifically. Sure, um, I'm just gonna provide a very general overview, otherwise we would be here um, all <laughs> night. Um, but you know, let's start at the top with the, uh, the Federal Families First Coronavirus Response Act, um, commonly referred to as FFCRA, and the emergency paid sick leave law under that federal act. Um, so the FFCRA emergency paid sick leave law generally applies to private employers with fewer than 500 employees, as well as public employers. And under this federal law, employers with fewer than 50 employees um, may potentially be able to claim an exemption that's subject to certain criteria. So this federal emergency paid sick leave law provides up to 80 hours paid leave, the equivalent of about two weeks for a full-time employee working 40 hours a week. Um, again, to full-time employees who are sick or required to quarantine due to COVID-19 or are caring for someone who's been required to quarantine or, or is sick with um, 
the virus or is caring for a child whose school or childcare provider is closed or unavailable to COVID-19. So it's a broad range of reasons. And the FFCRA emergency paid sick leave is paid at the higher of the employee's regular rate of pay or the applicable minimum wage up to $511 a day um, and $5,110 total. So that's that's a general overview of, of the, the federal emergency paid sick leave law. Under federal law, there's also the FFCRA emergency paid family and medical leave law, which expands regular FMLA to provide up to an additional 12 weeks of protected leave to full-time employees who are unable to work or telework, specifically due to the need to care for a child whose school or childcare provider is closed or unavailable due to COVID-19. Um, I'm sure so many of us are, are struggling with, with that right now, you know, schools either being still closed, physically closed entirely, or doing some sort of hybrid system, or, you know, parents are just not comfortable sending their, their kids back to school, if that's an option. I mean, obviously it affects so many working families. And so this specific law is meant to address that scenario. But unlike the emergency paid sick leave law, which is only good for 80 hours, it's important to note that the emergency paid family and medical leave law um, only covers up to 10 weeks of, of paid benefits. So the first two weeks of this leave is unpaid, um, but eligible employees could use other paid leave during this period, such as um, you know PTO or paid vacation. And then thereafter, uh, rather than the $511 a day, $5,110 cap, under the paid family and medical leave law, employees are eligible to receive only two-thirds of the regular rate of pay or up to $200 per day, but the total cap is, is higher. It's up to $10,000. And also, um, if an employee has already taken FMLA leave in the past 12 months for other reasons unrelated to COVID-19, the FFCRA does not provide an additional 12, 12 weeks on top of that. That first two weeks is unpaid on the FMLA side, but you can use the emergency paid sick time to fill in that gap if you qualify and everything else works out. And right. And so employee in that situation or employer who's evaluating that situation will then next turn to where we are on a statewide level here in California. Our listeners may have heard recently that the governor um, signed the California COVID-19 Supplemental Paid Sick Leave Law, uh, which fills the gap left by the federal law and generally covers hiring entities with 500 or more employees in the United States. And as of September 19, 2020, so just last month, covers all workers who leave home to perform work. And that distinction is, is notable because the benefits provided by this paid sick leave law um, are for employees who actually have to um, go out into the workplace um, and, and it doesn't cover employees who are still working remotely from home. Unlike the federal law, the state COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave law does not cover employees who are unable to work due to the need to care for a child whose school or child care provider is closed or unable um, or unavailable due to COVID-19. So here's maybe where some people We'll need to start drawing a Venn diagram <laughs> or, or something. <laughs> Here's where it gets complicated, uh, folks. 
So we have, you know, to recap, we have the federal law, which is under 500 employees. We have the state law, which is 500 and over. And on top of that, it excludes as a covered reason having to care for a child whose school or child care provider is closed. Nor are there any available exemptions that, that I'm aware of under this state law, like under federal law. And so for covered employees under the state law, the rate of pay is the same as under the FFCRA. They're trying to maintain um, consistency there. And it's important to note with the state law that um, the COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave is in addition to the pre-existing California paid family leave and, and paid sick leave laws that um, many of us are already aware of. Um, and those have separate eligibility requirements and, and payment amounts separate from what we're dealing with under COVID-19. Right. And you're talking about the Healthy Families Act requirements under state law and then any, which is the local, which is now we're going <laughs> to, because the local has also chimed in. Right. As with anything in California, <laughs> nothing's easy. No, nothing's simple. Make sure so you're proud to be that, an attorney in California, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, if you look at employment law in California, you could probably do it anywhere. Exactly. It's my personal view. <laughs> Come to my state and practice law and then talk about conflict. And I, I used to practice in New York, and, and California was, was definitely a challenge getting up to speed um, when I first moved out here. So I think that brings us to um, the various local ordinances, which were enacted before the statewide COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave law was signed by the governor last month. Can we turn to that at this point? Yeah. So if you can quickly go through that, we'll take a break because you saw Paul waving at us. So uh, why don't you go quickly <laughs> through the uh, through the local? We'll take a quick break and then we'll come right back. Okay. So unlike state law, the, the local ordinances, which um, vary from county to county, some counties have them, some counties don't, um, and and the specific uh, provisions will vary by, by each um, ordinance. These ordinances do cover employees who are unable to work um, due to the need to care for a child whose school or child care provider is closed or unavailable due to COVID-19. And in this situation, um, there, there could be a scenario where an employee may be entitled to both state and local COVID-19 paid leave if there's no overlapping um, in the underlying reasons. So it's it's important for employers um, not only to track the, the amount of leave that's being taken, but the specific reason and, and not just, you know, COVID-19 leave, but, you know, is it to care? Is it due to the employee's own illness? Is it due to an immediate family member's illness? Um, is it due to this childcare issue? For example, an employee could be entitled up to 80 hours of paid leave for his own illness under the state law, and then another 80 hours of paid leave on top of that um, if their school has been closed due to COVID-19 under the local law. Right, because it's not overlapping, right? It doesn't, the, the, uh, the state didn't weigh in on that, so it's not preempted by the local. Right, and so to the extent um, employers have not been tracking these specific reasons for, for any leave previously taken, you know, anytime between March and, and now, it would make sense to try to go back and, and fill those reasons in to the extent possible and certainly going forward tracking the reasons for any future leave taken. Other differences between the state and local COVID-19 paid leave laws um, that employers should, should be aware of and, and should review are uh, the extent to which certain credits or, or offsets may be available for COVID-19 related paid leave. The company may have provided voluntarily or under a different law before the current state law was enacted the varying amounts of benefits that employees are entitled to receive under, you know, other programs, um, voluntary or not, and the paid leave that's available to part-time workers 
under state versus local law because the varying benefits for that and varying eligibility. Well, I think one of the things that at least most of my clients I find super confusing about the local laws, even just, you know, with the wage and hour stuff, who's an employee? So I think even with these, it's it's really important to read those local ordinances to figure out who actually qualifies as right. an employee. It's quite confusing and really makes you stop and think if you have people, you know, employees going in and out of local jurisdictions or headquartered in one place and working in another, it's it's really confusing. So that's my that's my two cents on that one. I think it's important to also right. figure out. Do people qualify or do they don't? Are they employed? I'm going to touch upon, you know, potential yeah. independent contractor issues, yeah. you know, contractors <laughs> who may think that they're employees. Um, that's a whole, whole other podcast. Exactly. We'll, we'll, um, we'll bring you back for that one. Well, we're going to take, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when sure. we come back, uh, we're going to have Connie uh, answer some Q&A from some of our listeners. So stick with us. We'll be right back. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Information about children with this disease is limited, but they are known to have had mild symptoms. Many organizations are responding accordingly, depending upon their area. It's best to stay home and away from others, especially when sick, and continue following healthy hand wash guidelines, covering mouth and nose and not touching your face or high-touch surfaces. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces regularly, and for more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with attorney Connie Chen of Jackson Lewis about the all the myriad COVID-19 paid sick leave laws and ordinances and all the good stuff that's going on. Connie, did you have anything you want to add about, she just gave us an awesome overview of all the laws. Did you have anything you want to tie that up with before we go into the Q&A? Sure, just real quick. Yeah, these um, it's important to note that these federal, state, and local COVID-related leave laws are generally set to expire at the end of this year, unless extended. Um, so that's you know about two and a half months from now. So just keep an eye out on that. Um, hopefully, whatever extensions um, are passed will be you know consistent with each other. <laughs> Otherwise, there's another uh, potential <laughs> potential variable that we'll have to all keep track of. I, I think will become clear when we. Um, go through these uh, some of these specific scenarios uh, these issues are complicated you know there's there's a lot of they can be fact specific there's a lot of variables to consider and so employers should definitely consult an experienced HR professional whether inside or outside employment counsel with any questions or concerns and, and you know certainly before making any decision yay or nay as as to these leave benefits yeah, and as Connie and I were preparing for the show, we talked about the fact that it always sounds self-serving to say, yeah, talk to a lawyer. But we both agreed that really with regard to these, there are so many moving parts. As you can tell from you know Connie's great description between the state, the federal, the local, things overlap, credits for some things, not for others. So I think in this instance, in order to stay on the right side of it all, I think it really does make sense to get some outside help. Even if it's just having somebody double check what you think it is, um, it's just really complicated. So I think that's, in this case, we both think that's really good advice. And we're not really being self-serving. <laughs> and, you know, also there are 
some free resources out there that provide a good starting point just to familiar, familiarize yourself a bit more. The, uh, the California DLSE website, the Department of Labor Standards and Enforcement, um, has a very helpful side-by-side -side comparison of, of the various COVID-19 paid sick leave laws. And it also has an FAQ page that um, provides answers to some common scenarios and again, provides a good overview of the overlap and the differences between these various laws. Jackson Lewis also has a COVID-19 um, listserv that people can sign up for, where you can receive almost daily um, updates, articles, invitations to free webinars to, to stay on top and, and try to manage these issues. Yeah, those are all great resources, great resources. I love the DLSE, uh, it's full of all kinds of information. And I always tell clients that if you're if you have any question, like these are the people who are going to be enforcing it. So this is a good place to find out what they're right. saying. That this is the standard you're going to be held to. All right, Connie. So we have a couple uh, questions from listeners uh, that we've got in. So let's go through some questions for the rest of our time here. So the first question is, what can I do if an employee refuses to report back to work in the office after we have put all of the recommended COVID protections in place? Okay. Um, the short answer is it depends. Each situation here requires a case-by-case -case analysis and, and really it, it'll turn on you know, the, the reason the employee is giving for refusing to report to work or express, expressing hesitation about reporting back to work. For instance, the um, employer may be required to engage in the interactive process and potentially provide a reasonable accommodation of for example, um, continued remote work or continued work from home, the refusal to, to come in is related to a health issue. There really is no one size fits all answer and to minimize the risk of facing a claim or litigation like um, all those scary stats we discussed at the beginning of the program, the general recommendation is um, you know, in the face of, of this uncertainty and a lot of the gray area to try to be as flexible as possible. Um, but of course, you know, businesses have a business to run and, and you know, they're trying to stay afloat and, and you know, they got to think about their revenue and an employer may be wondering, well, if the employee's true reason is just, you know, simply fear or, or reluctance without any specific health related issue or, or you know, any other possibly protected um, reason, you know, do, do they still have to allow this, this employee the, uh, the ability to work from home. And, you know, at, at that point, it, it becomes more of a business decision or a business call, you know, between doing what you need to do to maintain operations and keep the business running versus knowing that, you know, even if you do your best to abide by all of these laws and regulations, you know, there is still some risk that, you know, the employee will, will bring a claim anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it's funny, Everything I've read with regard to the statutes and everything really emphasizes flexibility and being flexible and, and, you know, accommodating as much as you can. And it's odd for me to say this, but at the end of the day, if there are no issues, like Connie mentioned, if there's no disability issues, if you didn't just find out this person's pregnant, if it truly is just fear and you have done everything you're supposed to do under the CDC guidelines and all of that to provide a safe and healthy work environment, Requiring that employee to come back to work or we're going to have to do something else is okay. It's, it's okay to consider. It's, you know, it's something you can put in the mix as long as there's nothing else going on, as long as it's truly just right. fear when there isn't anything else going on. So 
I think, but that's one thing, you know, and I think it's best to hesitate before you start firing people. So I think it's a good thing people are hesitating, but you know, it can, can be a consideration. Um, you know, if you've done everything, it's a lot, like Connie said, a lot of facts go into these. It's not a one size fits all. So it's again, everything's going to be different. You got to come to everything with fresh eyes. I don't want to run out of time, but I want one more question. So one more question that we have, my company offers paid time off three weeks per year, max. It can be used for any time off the employee needs. So they say that if the employee needs vacation or sick pay, doctor's visits, school functions, it's all okay. How do these new COVID-related sick leave laws impact an existing paid time off policy? Boy, that's really factual, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And I guess as a, as a general um, matter, you know, my response would be, the federal, state, and local COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave laws are, are just that. They're supplemental. Um, and so employees may choose, but they generally cannot be required to use PTO or vacation time before taking COVID-19 related leave, if, if I'm understanding the question correctly. However, if the leave is taken for a non-COVID related reason um, under some of these other, other laws or, or, or programs or benefits like CFRA or FMLA, the employee may be required to first use PTO or, or paid vacation time, you know, just like under normal pre-COVID circumstances. Some employers may be wondering, well, they already had a PTO policy in place that offered the same or more benefits to the employee? Do they still have to comply? Um, you know, the, the question could, I guess, be, be read that way. And this uh, this brings up the issue of whether an employee can claim a, uh, some kind of credit or offset. As I mentioned before, that that situation is, is fact specific. It, it you really have to look at the reason the leave is is being taken. You know, which of the potential COVID related reasons is it being taken for? look at you know the, the amounts to make sure the whatever voluntary program aligns with federal state and local requirements and I guess you know like a general takeaway is you know when in doubt um, try to offer the most generous coverage and and benefits that's usually the the guidance that I give if there's some arguable inconsistency between state versus federal law local versus state law you can't go wrong offering more than you're arguably required to. Yeah. And I, I don't think that, you know, that's, that's important. That's nothing to sneeze at because I think that, you know, what I've always thought is that you just can't remember all the laws. It's just too difficult. But I think that's a big thing to remember because if you remember nothing else, when you're faced with a problem and you start to realize that, okay, well, the idea behind these, all these leave laws and, and the bigger purpose is to be flexible and to be as accommodating as you can within the parameters but if you're on the fence, California is always going to go, it's always going to be more protective. It's always going to go for over. And you can't, like you said, you can't go wrong providing more, but you're certainly going to get in trouble once you start trying to provide less than what the law requires in whatever scenario that might be. So that is, I think that's awesome advice. All right. I know we are just about out of time. Connie, is there anything else you want to, you want to end the show with a tip or some thoughts about where we're going with all this? Um, just, you know, in closing, I mean, look, needless to say, this is a, a really challenging time um, for businesses that are you know, not only struggling to stay afloat um, and deal with the financial impact of the pandemic, but then you add on all these significant additional responsibilities that they have as employers. You know, we, we understand that and we're certainly mindful 
of that. Of course, in an ideal world, you know, you'd want to be able to say yes to every employee, but that sometimes that's just not feasible. You know, just in terms of general advice, you know, I, I would encourage companies to do their best to stay up to date with the rapidly changing workplace requirements and ensure their policies and their procedures are simultaneously updated. You know, you could study up on all these laws you want, but if they're not being implemented um, at the ground level and managers aren't being trained, you know, it's 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 not going to be as, as beneficial. And so, you know, again, I, I encourage businesses to consult experienced HR professionals inside or outside counsel with any specific questions or concerns, you know, take advantage of the free resources on the internet. And of course, my colleagues and I, Jackson Lewis, are available to help. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Connie. That's our show. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about these and you've given some great information and some great tips for our listeners. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Teresa. It's been a great time. We've really enjoyed it. You can learn more about Connie and Jackson Lewis by visiting jacksonlewis.com slash people, Connie L. Chen, or you can reach Connie at connie.chen at jacksonlewis.com. You can also connect with Connie via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar. <music>